Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, welcoming you to a special edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. No, this is not a WWE Week in Review, a recap of NXT and AEW, an ultimate preview for a pay-per-view, or an instant analysis that we do once pay-per-views go off the air. It's not even a normal interview show. And by the way, for first-time listeners, we do all of those things, so don't forget to subscribe. Today, I bring you a conversation with longtime WWE talent, cookbook author, podcast host, and mother-to-be, Renee Paquette, who many of you know better as Renee Young. When I sat down to plan how we wanted to end 2020 here at Getting Over, and that's the first year, by the way, this podcast has existed, I knew I wanted to do a series of special shows. And Renee is someone who I have always found uniquely interesting, considering her background, the way she got into the wrestling business, and how strong of a force she became in WWE through her tremendous work ethic and her passion that just shines through whenever you watch or listen to her. So I knew that when we spoke, I did not want to just interview Renee, but rather sit down and have a conversation with her. And to my surprise, true surprise, she was down from the very first moment that I asked. Uh, We really cover it all, as you will hear in a few moments. We discuss what her life has been like since leaving WWE, what led to that big decision, what it's like to be married to John Moxley. We also talked about what went wrong during her stint on Raw Commentary, the cancellation originally of Talking Smack, whether WWE tried to keep her when she recently told them that she was going to leave. We get into the scripting of promos and interviews for talent, good wrestling, sometimes just being good wrestling and not needing to worry about it beyond that, and whether she does have any interest in working for AEW at some point down the line. Our conversation was quite informative, but it was also a ton of fun, and I hope you all feel the same way when you listen to it in a moment. Please do not forget to subscribe to Getting Over wherever you listen to podcasts. Give us a follow on Twitter, at Getting Overcast, and please drop us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts to let everyone know how much you love this conversation and hopefully how much you love the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. So with that, I'm not going to waste any more time. Ladies and gentlemen, Renee Paquette. Thrilled to welcome the author of the soon-to-be-released Messy in the Kitchen by Renee Paquette, the host of Oral Sessions with Renee Paquette, and a longtime on-screen talent for WWE. Who would have guessed it? It's Renee Paquette. Renee, I feel like this has been a long time coming, this conversation, but thank you so much for making the time to join me today. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I'm excited to be able to jump on with you. You're right. We've kind of been going back and forth on Twitter sometimes, and uh, it was only a matter of time before we hopped on and got to have like a full-blown conversation. I feel like there's only so many times you can discuss Canadian snack food without actually having a conversation about it. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I mean, listen, it's one of those things that if you get it, you get it, and you're also, you have to be passionate about it. So as soon as that comes up and people (laughs) want to talk Canadian foods, I'm like, oh, hell yes, sign me up. The problem is, and I don't know if, you know, what I had told you at that time about Amazon, if it ever worked out, I placed an order because I'm like, I'm going to get this stuff. I'm going to, I'm going to show Renee that it's either good or bad. Like I'm going to, you know, rag on her if it's bad or whatever. It never came. 
So legit, like I ordered a caramel. I ordered, I think, what was it, Joe Louis? Joe Louis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Never, never arrived. They got canceled. So I just haven't done it since. But damn, I don't know, am I really missing out? Like, is yeah, it, I is mean, it really it, that good? It is amazing. It is very good. So I, when I was tweeting about the Joe Louis and the a caramel, so I never got, I never ordered the a caramels, but I did get the Joe Louis, and I have a a bunch of them now. Like <laughs> what I would say is for sure too many Joe Louis. Right? Um, but they're great. Especially when you just get like the little half moon, it's kind of like a gosh, I don't even know what you would call it here. It's just like, it's just like chocolate with like whipped cream. inside. it's just like a little cakey dessert, but they, they are very good. And not having had a Joe Louis for well over a decade, they really hold up. It was just like, I remembered a lot of times I'll try things and I'm like, eh, it's not quite what I remembered it was, but Joe Louis, they they still do their job right. Like full nostalgia hitting you in the oh, face. Oh yeah, oh yeah, like big time, jam packed. So how has everything been going with you recently? Because it's not like you've really slowed down much, despite leaving a pretty full. I mean, it was a full time job, obviously, but stopping working at a, a company like WWE, you've been pretty busy, regardless. Yeah, you know what? At first. I, I like, I just don't deal with downtime well. And when I first mm -hmm. left, um, you know, I just left. I had nothing planned. I had nothing lined up. Um, I just, you know, put enough faith into something's going to happen. I'll come up with something. Who knows? This is just a move that you have to make right now. So just go with it. Um, so I did that. And I was kind of laying low for a few weeks and I was driving my husband crazy um, mm -hmm. because I was just getting squirrely. I was getting like a little bit moody because I didn't know what to do with myself. I just felt weird after I left WWE. Like it wasn't just this like, ah, oh, this freedom. I feel great. Like there certainly was some of that, but there was also this like sort of like unsteadiness of like, okay, what are you going to do now? Mm -hmm. um, so I think once, once I kind of got over that hump, and it did take a good couple of weeks. Um, we, you know, we were right in, we were down in Jacksonville. Uh, John was taping AEW and we were there pretty much right after I finished uh, with doing the SummerSlam uh, kickoff show for WWE. And he was like, just take this time. And you can just like go to the beach and hang out. You, you don't have to do anything. Um, and I just, I couldn't really do it. I, I, it just not, it was not meshing with me, but anyways, now that I've been able to kind of like sit like that and not really do anything for a little while. Now I feel like my plate is full again, um, with a couple different projects of just like doing my podcast oral sessions, which is, you know, kind of just gotten off the ground. I'm only a few episodes in, but I've been having a great time with that and flexing that muscle and just getting to, um, be myself, say what I want, do what I want. It's a lot of fun getting to do that. Um, I'm, I'm doing some streams on Twitch right now, which I've really not figured out, but I'm trying my best. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, I, I've definitely been busy doing stuff, maybe like almost busier than I would have thought that I was going to be right now, but it's, you know, obviously I'd rather be busy than not. Sure. No, absolutely. Do you feel like the hole that you maybe had, were feeling at that time was work related or was it possibly just especially during the pandemic, everything that's going on, the social interaction, because I've never, you know, obviously worked in WWE, but I also have not been in my office for nine months now. And I was in college in a fraternity. So I know what it's like to be around a significant number of people, most of whom or many of whom you eventually wind up, you know, considering your friends. Yeah. WWE, you were there for eight years. Was it so much, was it just the drive of going to work and knowing you had something to do? Or was it really 
knowing that you're going to be interacting with all of these people who you get along with in such a meaningful way and then kind of not cutting it off because you can still obviously talk to whoever, but it's it's less of a forced interaction. Does yeah, that I mean sense? that no, that's absolutely a thing. Um, you know, I was just talking to um a couple other friends about that. Um, I just got off of doing the Bella Twins podcast and we were just talking mm. about that, that quite a step down going from the Bella Twins <laughs> podcast. But I appreciate you being here nonetheless. And uh, you know, it really is that because you have these relationships with these people that you've been friends with for so long, we end up spending more time with the people on the road with WWE than really we do with our own families. Mm -hmm. Um, and to walk away from like, honestly, that was the hardest part. Um, that was, that was really a tough pill to swallow for me of like, who am I going to talk to now? Like, yes, of course (laughs) we still can stay in touch and whatever, but not having that like weekly interaction. And, you know, when you're put in the same building as somebody, you're going to sit down and shoot the shit and catch up more than like going out of your way to necessarily see how people are doing and what they're doing. And, you know, obviously everyone's still so busy and doing a million different things despite all the COVID stuff that everyone ends up just kind of in their own little bubble. And that can be a bit of a weird thing to deal with, I guess. No, 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 it makes total sense. I mean, there's even, you think about like, oh, I'll tell that person whatever next time I see them, I know I'll see them next week. Yeah, just like inside jokes. And and there's certain things that like, do I really need to text someone this like dumb thing or whatever? Um, you know, right. yeah, like just like the inside jokes, like just like the menial quick conversations, as opposed to like reaching out to someone to like have an actual conversation about something you miss just like those tiny little interactions that don't have to be a full phone call or a full giant text conversation. It's like the little bullshitty things that I miss. I love that. No, that yeah. is the best part. It always is. And, you know, we're going to kind of go through eventually and talk about all these new awesome things you're doing, but huge congrats. I think the biggest project that you're actually working on is your pregnancy, which came, I think, as a surprise to a lot of people. Obviously, I speak (laughs) for the listeners here, and I'm sure a lot of fans of yours, you know, wishing you happy, healthy, uh, and everything going smoothly. But for the common folk among us, the way we found out about this pregnancy (laughs) was John just kind of spilling it in what had to be the most typical fashion. And of course, I don't know him. I've never spoken with him extensively. But what seems from all the interviews I've heard with him um, to be typical, just casually and nonchalantly in a wrestling promo. Is that something that you guys had discussed or did he just end up like taping that and said, oh, hey, by the way, Renee, um, I kind of let it slip in a promo. So what's funny about it is I feel like a lot of people have said that to me of like, that's such a John way to have done it. Like most people are saying that where I'm like, I don't think it's a John way to do it at all because John's very private. So he just wouldn't say, just you'd have a baby one day and that would be it. Yes. Oh yeah. We would have a baby. (laughs) I would never post about the baby. No one would see the baby. Like he is very, very private about stuff like that. And I'm not, I'm like, you know, I'll talk to anyone about anything. I love shooting the shit. Mm-hmm. Um, so for, yeah, for John to be the one to announce it, like I definitely didn't see it going that way. I definitely did not see it happening in a wrestling promo. Um, but as we were kind of leading up to it, it was so close to us being able to announce it anyways. Um, and he was already in Jacksonville and he was like, I think I'm just going to say it tomorrow in a promo. And I was like, <laughs> Okay, you know what? I'm fine with it in the sense that, like, I know our baby's healthy and we're in a a good, safe time period where I don't mind people knowing and whatever. And now it just takes the pressure off me. I don't have to, like, think of some, like, cute, clever, creative way to, like, do it. I ended up just posting a picture of the two of us. Um, So it actually, like, alleviated a lot of the stress. And the way he did it, 
of like mid promo, just threw it out and then kept going. It wasn't a promo about becoming a new dad or anything right. like that. It was just a line that he dropped in there. And I, I mean, in that sense, that is a very John way to deliver the line. Definitely. Um, but yeah, it, it, it made my life a hell of a lot easier. I was waiting on the, on the West coast for the feed to come in and John, John's like, well, it's gonna, it's gonna air real soon. The world's about to know. And like moments later, my phone just like blew up of people being <laughs> like, did I just hear that? Right. What? Yeah, it was pretty well, funny. It, everything with you guys. I mean, look, no one says that your private life needs to be public, of course, but it seems like all those things are, are fans kind of being like, wait, did I just hear that right? Because it was the pregnancy. And then I, th I think, and I could be wrong, but when you guys got married, yeah, quote unquote, Dean Ambrose, all of a sudden one day, like had a wedding ring on during a match. <laughs> people were like, wait, am I seeing that right? Like, we know they're dating, but is that really happening? It's just yeah. funny. Yeah, yeah. We like to fly under the radar with most things. I mean, we're just not big spectacle people to begin with. Sure. Um, but, you know, I mean, even like the conversations we were having where it's like, if I wasn't in the public eye as well, there'd be a really good chance that nobody would ever really know that he was going to be a new dad. But because right. I kept saying to him, I'm like, well, dude, I'm going to have to tell people because people are going to see that I'm going to be gigantic at one point. Like people are going to know that I'm pregnant. Like we have to say something. Um, and even like with the, when we got married, I said the same thing. I was like, people are going to find out that we got married. And yeah, it was, I mean, he, <laughs> at that point, cause we, he, we ended up getting tattoos. I have a ring, but we both oh, got, maybe that's what it was. Okay. We, yeah. Well, we both got tattoos, but no, before he even got the tattoo, he was wearing one of my hair ties around his finger. And that's oh, what okay, people okay. saw. Yeah. It was like just some like ghetto hair tie, <laughs> <laughs> but people pick up on these things. So yeah, cat was out of the bag pretty quickly on that one. No, that's funny. But like I said, that's just that just ha so happens to be now your biggest project. But you are doing a lot of other really cool things. You have your cookbook, Messy in the Kitchen, my guide, really your guide uh, to eating <laughs> deliciously, hosting fabulously, drinking copiously. That's coming out May 18th, uh, but it's available for pre-order now. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever else they you can pre-order books at. Yeah. Uh, is that something that you had been pushing for yourself? Is it is it overtures that you're that you made? Or did you get approached about doing a cookbook? No, I desperately wanted to do a cookbook. That was like, that was just a, a total passion project of me just being obsessed with cookbooks. I just, mm -hmm. I fucking love a cookbook. I like, especially when I was like <laughs> on the road with WWE, like. I think that's the first time that's, that phrase has been uttered, Justina. <laughs> I fucking love a cookbook. <laughs> but like, just, I, I respect cookbooks, I guess. Like, I love the, I love like a nice heavy hardcover book with like the thick pages and the beautiful photos. And that was something that I really wanted to create, but it was also really fun for me to dabble back into the writing of it. Um, and just reconnecting with my own voice, you know, something I've not been able to do in basically eight years right. that I felt like I could really just be myself with that. And it felt so good to write it. It just feels very me. Um, I'm, I'm just really proud of what I put together for this book. I mean, there's, I think, you know, but 65 recipes in nice. and around that. And, um, there's a playlist that's going to come with it, like with some Spotify QR codes to just kind of like create some ambiance, some tips on hosting people to your house, whenever the hell we're going to be able to do that again. Right. Um, yeah. And just all these different meals that I love to cook and things I love to share with my friends and family when they come over to my house. Um, so yeah, it was something that I honestly, I, I was like manifesting doing this book. I kept tweeting about it and I would talk about it on podcasts and whatever. And then finally, um, a literary agent, um, she had reached out to me 
And she was like, hey, uh, I think I might be able to like help you try to sell this book. So um, I was just so headstrong on what I wanted. I knew exactly how I wanted this book to look and feel and all that. And we, we had shopped it around a little bit. And it was definitely hard for some people to be like, wait, like, we're, you're like from the wrestling world, but you want to have a cookbook. Like there was a bunch of people that just didn't get it and were not on board. Or they assumed because it's so – because I'm so wrestling-centric that they thought it was all going to be very like healthy fit meals and it is like not that. It's yeah. just about like getting drunk in the kitchen and like simmering something, like braising a stew for hours, <laughs> which is what I love to do. Long enough to like finish a bottle of wine. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, So once we, you know, once we were able to find um, a publisher that was down to do it, working with Permuted Press and Postal Press, uh, and they jumped on board and they just let me create the book that I wanted to make, um, which blew my mind. It was so nice to just have people that understood my voice and understood what I wanted to do with it, even like from the editing standpoint, because I write in a very conversational tone and there's like a bunch of like shit in there that they could have been like, what, what is this? What are you saying? What are you writing? <laughs> and they, they just really understood um, like my personality shining through in the, in the dialogue of the book. So yeah, I'm, I'm just really pumped about it. And then not only that, but to have the book come out um, for pre-order and to have people be so cool and actually buy it. That's sort of the fear when you do something like that, that's such oh, yeah. a deviation from what you normally do. And as much as we know, the wrestling fan base is so passionate and they're such big supporters. I was so worried that I'm like, are they going to like, are, are my fans going to want something that doesn't have anything to do with wrestling? And I was like, so dumbfounded to find out that they, they were down to support me doing this venture. It's really cool. That is cool. And maybe this is in the book. Maybe it's not, but what is that one meal that's like your default, like the go-to thing that you make the most, whether it's a comfort food or it's something where, oh my God, it's 8.30, I need to make dinner and it's around the house, you have the ingredients. What is that item? What's that meal? So my main one that I, and I did write about it as such, cause it's nothing like fancy or going to like knock your socks off, but it's the thing that I eat the most of, which mm. doesn't really count now. Cause my taste buds are all over the place with this baby <laughs> cooking, but, um, it's a, it's a salmon grain bowl. So I will, um, just like, you know, pan sear salmon, do some quinoa, a bunch of roasted vegetables, like really whatever vegetables you have in the house, pack those all in there and then cover it in like a, a lemon tahini sauce. Nice. It's it's really good. It's you know it's just like a nice easy thing to kind of put together. Or like um, shrimp pan fajitas is another one that's just like a quick easy put together, no big cleanup, um, but high payoff, big reward. Yeah. Um, with with the yeah, just like the shrimp pan fajitas and your own fajita seasoning and all that. But when it comes to like my favorite like actual meal to serve people, I think the thing that I love the most that's in there is um, my squid ink pasta. I okay. love a squid ink pasta so so much. It makes me very very happy. So um, it I like freaked it like freaked me out the first time yeah. I ever had it. Yeah, and then I was like, oh, I get it. I understand why they're doing it. You know. Yeah, yeah. No, I get. I mean, I think a lot of people are like, they're like, why is this pasta jet black? But there's just some. <laughs> um, there's like a brininess that comes mm-hmm. with the pasta, and I just I think it's so great. I I love squid ink pasta. Um, but yeah, it's it's just a bunch of meals that I love. I could talk about them all all day. <laughs> and, then, and then what's like your, I mean, you're not drinking it right now, obviously, but what is your go-to drink as well? Whether you're out, you know, at a bar and you just, the thing you always order, something you make at home. So normally it? I will stick, like I'm a big wine drinker. Um, I really don't like, I love having wine 
often when I'm just like sitting around the house, it's like a vodka soda and a splash of something, some pineapple juice, cranberry juice, whatever. That's kind of my main staple. But, um, you know, in my time of being with John, he's a big whiskey drinker for those who know, and he's gotten me into the Jack Daniels party too. So I will definitely okay. dabble in like a Jack and Diet Coke. There's, there's like fancier recipes than that um, sure. for some cocktails in the book. But, uh, but yeah, generally if I'm just home, I'll just, you know, pop a bottle of wine and guzzle that down the hatch. So if the cookbook was not enough, okay, we now have a new podcast, Oral Sessions, which Hell I yeah. mean, obviously an all time great podcast name, a clickbait name, just perfect. <laughs> okay. Perfect name. Uh, is that something that you always wanted to do or did it kind of pop up as a move now that you're home for a bit? And I ask that because- when we started talking about doing an interview, you had not, you know, said, Hey, I'm going to do a podcast. Yeah. And I was going to ask you during the interview at some point, Hey, why don't you start a damn podcast? Yeah. Because it's really something that I think fits your personality. You have that, you know, effervescence, it conveys passion and excitement really, no matter what you do. And yeah. that's very attractive for viewers and for listeners. So it felt like it was a natural, like she's definitely going to go in that direction. But for a couple months, it was like, oh, well, maybe she's not going to. Yeah, you know, I think so I just kind of, I think I did just kind of want to like sit on it and figure out what I, I always knew that I was going to like pop in and do a podcast. I mean, really, it's, you know, it's something I just want to do anyways. It's such an easy way to start doing a show, build mm -hmm. something. I just, I, I like, I don't like waiting for like, What's the perfect opportunity? How's this going to look? How's it going to go? Or I'm like, fuck it. Let's just like start recording. Um, put some stuff out there. There was, I had recorded uh, maybe two other episodes that I ended up not airing as I was trying to figure out what I wanted the show to be. Mm -hmm. um, of course, my husband gets to be my um, test rabbit for all <laughs> of that stuff. Um, but yeah. And then, like you said, it's like obviously the simplicity of being able to, to just do it from home. That makes life so much easier for everything right now. Uh, but yeah, I can just like, I had to buy a nice fancy mic. I've already got my headphones. I've got a laptop here. There's not much else you need. And luckily I've got, you know, enough of a, a little bit of a Rolodex here of some friends that I can tap into to, to like get to hang out with me for an hour. For sure. Now, what's the direction of that going to be? Is it going to stay strictly wrestling combat sports personalities or are you kind of going to expand beyond that as well? Well, I don't. So my intention was never for it to be a wrestling podcast. I will mm. always stay true to that wrestling thread that obviously that's what people know me for. And that's what's going to be my main driver. Right. Um, and it's also the people I have the most easy access to, to just mm -hmm. be able to hop on with me. But now that I'm, well, I've, my third episode will come out next week and it's a banger. Let me tell you. <laughs> All right. Um, but yeah, just having some, some really cool different guests on, but so far it has been, all wrestling and MMA. Uh, but that's that's really not done by design. That's just sort of the way that it's all kind of come together right now. But I would love to. And I mean, at this point, I'm kind of recorded up until the new year. Um, but after that, we'll, I would love to start getting some more just like celebrities, artists, just interesting people. And that's really what I wanted the show to be about is like interesting conversations with interesting people. Um, I was going back and forth listening to so many different shows trying to like see what I liked, what styles I was into. And the one show I just keep coming back to is Dak Shepard's podcast, Armchair Expert. I think he does such a cool job of um, just being inquisitive and curious and um, having on really cool guests. And I love people's backgrounds and people's journeys and whatnot. And that's what I want this to be is uh, a show kind of in that vein. 
What's really funny is on this podcast, we use the term banger like all the time. Oh, really? So you just gave us a sound drop for like <laughs> the foreseeable future. So I just want to let you know. And I Perfect. want to say I, I appreciate that very much. See, I'm a professional. I got you. <laughs> but speaking about that energy, that passion that you kind of always seem to have, were you always like that growing up, like in high school? Were you always super outgoing, the person kind of in charge of making plans? Or is this kind of something that maybe changed in you as you got older? No, I've I've literally been the same person since I've been like 12, probably younger than that. <laughs> I've I've really been like the same. Um so it it really you know, I I am somebody that like I don't I do get a bit of stage fright sometimes. I get a little bit nervous public speaking sometimes, which is hilarious. Yeah. Um yeah, I I really don't love public speaking, but I love doing TV and I love hosting shows. Like that to me is very different than going to an auditorium and speaking to people. That makes me want to die. Um, <laughs> but being on a TV show broadcasting to millions of people, I'm down for that, no problem. Um, uh, but yeah, I was always I was always outgoing. I always um I played a ton of sports growing up. Um I've always kind of had I guess sort of like that leadership quality that I was like, you know, I, I've always been like a captain of my team or assistant captain. I have no problem kind of like leading the charge and throwing my opinions out there. And that's just like sort of like a natural instinct to me. I'm definitely not a wallflower. Mm -hmm. um, so I, yeah, I, I think just as soon as I transitioned into like hosting too, once I realized that I was like, oh, maybe that's something that I should start dabbling into. Cause at the time I was just, um, auditioning for acting roles and, um, taking acting classes and whatnot, and just kind of getting fed up with that whole process and how that works specifically within candidates, like beating your head against a wall. <laughs> but, um, yeah, once I started hosting, I was like, Oh, this is like easy and fun. And, uh, yeah, the, just like the freedoms that kind of come with it to just be yourself and shoot the shit and whatever. But yeah, I, I think I've always been like that. I've really, I don't think my personality has changed in my like adult years kind of at all. Mm -hmm. It's funny you said that um, because in preparation for the interview, and I, I'm sorry, I forgot the name, but I was trying to find, you know, I was reading Wikipedia bios, old stories about you and stuff like that. And I watched clips of that show that you were on about like, I don't know really what it was, rock bands and skateboarding. Is that what uh, it was? <laughs> it, yeah. Oh, my show, Ripping It and Lipping It, you mean? <laughs> yes. Ripping It and Lipping It. What uh, a yeah. smash hit. So that was my very first show that I ever hosted. I think I was like 19 <laughs> or 20 when I first started doing that. And that's when, um, so I found this casting site on the internet as you do. And I was right. like, hey, I think I could do that. They're like, we're looking for a new VJ. And um, which they called the bite girl. And I was like, okay, maybe okay. that's something I can do. <laughs> but I was thinking, I'm like, hey, I've seen like, we have much music in Canada, which is like our MTV. Um, mm -hmm. I was like, oh, maybe it'll be like a job like that. I would fucking crush that. All right. So I went in and uh, went for the audition and literally it was like just girls like in their bikinis and stuff. And I was like, oh, shit, <laughs> this isn't what I thought that it was. Oh, no. So I went in and I just I um, I kind of bullshitted my way through the audition where I just made a bunch of jokes. And like I actually pretended that I was auditioning for Canadian Idol. Um, I just like acted gotcha. like I walked into the wrong room. I don't know. It seemed like a funny gag at the time. And uh, anyway, so I just kind of like fucked around during that audition and they were like, cool. You want to be our bike girl? And I was like, not really. Um, what I would like to do is, you know, some other kind of show. And they're like, okay. And then they just let me do that. They let me come up with this oh, okay. show. Cool. Um, so that was really me getting to, to figure out what my voice was at that time. What, 
what I was trying to even accomplish as a host in any capacity, but I was producing the show as well, kind of booking all the guests, booking all the different events. Um, so that was just, it was such a great way for me to learn the ropes of that world with, um, with very minimal eyes on it. I always feel so bad for people these days because obviously everything on the internet is just so viewed and it's out there forever. And, you know, as much as these clips and stuff are out there, but at the time it was on like bite TV, that's like cable network in, in Canada that like no one really saw it. So anything that was like awful or shit that I'm looking at, I'm like, Oh my God, what (laughs) you did, what you said, what like stuff that's just like makes you want to crawl into a hole. But, um, I'm glad that I was able to do that there. And they really let me have my creative freedoms there, uh, to figure out what I want to do. So it was just a great place to work. And then I went from there to working at the score, um, doing, uh, you know, covering sports. Um, on a national sports station in Canada and even going there because comedy was the main thing that I always really wanted to do. It was something like I wanted to be like a comedic actress or I wanted to be like Chelsea Handler. I wanted to have like a a show like the Sarah Silverman program, which I just thought was the best show at that time. And, um, but the score was, they had a lot of comedians doing interviews with athletes and I was like, Oh, that's something I could do. Um, cause it was just a way for me to get on national television really is what that mm-hmm. boiled down to. I was like, I'll do that. And then that led to them asking me to host a wrestling show and the rest is kind of history. The rest from is there. history. Yeah. yeah. Well, what's interesting is I, so I looked that up. I just want to clarify not to like embarrass you, but I thought there might be a funny clip here that I can play oh, and, and maybe there's a story behind it, but no, I, I didn't find anything that was oh, okay. especially <laughs> great. I'm saying that's why I watched it in the first place. I was like, maybe. Maybe there's going to be something funny, but no, I'm just like, I'm just like a dumb kid. Like I'm such a kid and I would swear. I mean, I still swear a lot, but I would like swear a lot to try to like let people know that I was like cool. But it's Uh, like, but it was like the same person that I've seen on TV for the last eight years. Yeah. Like that's the thing. It's you young. And I didn't know you were 19 at the time, but it's really just the the same person who just hadn't kind of matured into that role yet. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so that kind of made me wonder now, especially now that you say that you were 19 when you were doing that, did you always want to be well-known, famous, whatever you want to call it? And at what age did you figure that out? I don't think that it was never in the sense of like, oh, I want to be famous. It was more so that I want to fuck around for a living. I want to have a job where I can do dumb shit. And have fun and create things that are fun. Um, that's that's really what my main goal was. And, you know, I mean, if you want to look back at ripping it and lipping it, that was me <laughs> just kind of like figuring out, like, how can I make something like this work? Um, I never wanted to have a conventional job. And once I, you know, I, I always knew that I wanted to do something entertainment wise. And it was kind of just figuring out how I was going to make that work for me. And I always put myself under a, under a lot of pressure to hurry up and become successful. Mm-hmm. Um, just cause I, you know, I didn't want to waste time and I wanted to make sure like, Hey, if I am going to do this, um, let's just start doing it and make some money. And I didn't want to go to broadcasting school. I mean, I tried to get into broadcasting school, but they didn't accept me. And, um, uh, yeah, I just, I always just wanted to hurry up and get to work and start doing something. And once those opportunities started to come up that I was like, Hey, I, like I gave myself the timeline that I was like, you have until you're 25 to do something, which I know is crazy. Like that's pretty young to mm-hmm. say you have to figure it out by now. Cause it takes a long time. Um, but 
I landed my job at the score when I was like 23. So I was like, cool, I'm on national television at 23. Great. <laughs> um, but it was just trying to find ways to make stuff work for me. And even like going to the score, I mean, I would literally go and like bang on their studio doors because I didn't know how to get into the building. And I'd like walk <laughs> down there with my headshot, and my demo reel. And I'm like, you guys should hire me. And I would send them all these different like videos where I'd be um, like breaking down UFC at the time. And we're like doing a whole bit on like George St. Pierre and trying to get in the door in any way that I could. So I think it's just always been like that drive and that knack of like, oh, I'm going to whatever this thing is that I'm going to do. I'm going to get in there. I'm going to make it work. I'm going to prove to everybody that I should be in this room and I do belong doing this. Um, but it's, yeah, it's just, it's knocking on all those doors and ha constantly having them slammed in your face. But then eventually someone's like, all right, come on in. No, I feel that. I mean, it's very similar. It, certainly it was a little bit older age for me, but how I got my job at CBS and, and led to kind of what I'm doing now, it was truly persistence and like yeah. having a goal and kind of not either, even if you get knocked down, not, you know, forget the trite fucking stuff like, you know, you get knocked down, you have, to, you have to get back up. It's not really that. It's more, you get knocked down, just go to the other door. Go yeah, in, in totally. another direction. Knock on Try a window. A Knock exactly. on a window. Call a different hotline. Um, Break into a damn window if you yeah. have to. Yeah. Oh my God, 100%. Yeah. I did that. I mean, like using the score as an example for that is like, I would drop off my demo reel because um, it was literally for me at the time. I was like, hey, I can either go try to work at Much Music because that's in Toronto and that's a national station and I can go mm -hmm. do that. Or the scores there, because I never wanted to work in conventional sports. Like the idea of going to TSN or going to Sports Center at the time, I was like, or uh, sorry, to uh, to Rogers to Sportsnet. Mm -hmm. I was like, that's not really what I want to do, but I like what they're doing over here. It's got definitely more of a vibe that I like. Um, so once it came down to the two, and I I really I was auditioning for both. I went into Much Music. They were starting to do their new VJ Search, which is a reality show that they do. I went in and auditioned for that. And was getting um, feedback on that, getting ready to go do callbacks. And then with the score, I kept dropping off demo reels, demo reels, um, emailing people. Like I would just like, I would hound people down. I'd go on like IMDB Pro and like find different people's email addresses and like <laughs> just email people blindly. Um, so I would do that a lot. And then the score started doing a reality show called Gillette Drafted, the Search for Canada's Next Sportscaster. So I entered myself in that. And then that's when they were like, all right, fine. And then they, <laughs> but then they hired me before right. I didn't do the reality show. They hired me prior to that. But yeah, it was just, I was willing to do whatever it took to get in the door. Like I had no shame in being like, oh my God, are these people talking bad about me? Do they think I'm like an idiot? Cause I, yeah, like, who cares? I did not give a shit. Yeah. I didn't think matter, about it. It doesn't matter when you're there three years later and they're not. Exactly. That, that's the, that's the thing that people forget. It's like, yeah, okay, maybe you have to go to an extent that maybe you didn't want to, or maybe it knocks down your pride a little bit. Yeah. But when you then make something of yourself. Yeah. You know. I just, I just, I didn't even, it didn't even enter my brain at the time, but maybe that was just a matter of being young. Cause I think about shit like that now right. more, and, but maybe it's different cause I'm more established that people would actually know who I was if I was doing things like that, where before nobody knew who I was. So I literally had nothing to lose. I was just this like new face, new name of somebody trying to do something. So I had, uh, nobody had any kind of preconceived notions of me. No, for sure. Now you mentioned the score and we're certainly Renee Paquette fans on this podcast. We're also Mauro Ranallo fans on this what podcast. What a guy. What a guy. Right? Yeah. Coolest, coolest dude, like so fun to talk to. Yeah, he's a trip. What was it like kind of uh -huh. working with someone of his talent level, skill level in, you know, that really was kind of a breakout opportunity for you. 
And did you ever think before you got that job, I'm going to work in wrestling? No, not at all. Um, that was never on my radar. And that's always a funny thing to me is like the success that I've had in WWE and the, the way that that took my career is just not something that I ever would have thought about. Cause mm -hmm. like I said, I just wanted to like do like some comedic interviews. I wanted to be Chelsea. I wanted to have the show Chelsea lately. That's what I wanted to do. Um, and then when I was like doing these like comedy sports interviews, or I was, I was used to host this other show called the break that we would do as a daily web show. That was, you know, kind of like the soup, but for sports, um, mm -hmm. kind of similar to what Katie Nolan does now. Um, but I was doing a show like that. And then when my boss at the time, Greg Sansoni, he was like, Hey, we want to start doing, um, a post show for Monday night raw. Do you want to host it? And I was like, fuck yeah. Like <laughs> I said, say yes to every opportunity and figure it out. Um, yep. so that was me just like buckling in being like, okay, cool. I'm going to do this show and it's going to be great. And we're going to have so much fun with it. And, you know, cue to, I guess it was, you know, two, three years after us starting that show to my contract being done with the score and me knowing that I desperately wanted to make the jump down to the U S and, uh, and then WWE had picked me up right off the bat from that. But I, I had no intention going into any of this to work in wrestling. None. What was it like during that time? I'm going to go back to it briefly working with Moro there, but also to my recollection, at least you guys never really got to team up in WWE in a substantial way. I mean, maybe no, we never we're, did. We're on a kickoff show. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, is, I, is that something that like either of you ever broached or said, Hey, we would like to do this or was it just something that just didn't happen? Well, so the thing with Moro, um, so when he came, I never, I actually never got to work with him or Arda Ocal, who the three of us hosted a, mm. a wrestling show. We were all on, um, aftermath in Toronto and, um, but I never got to work with either of them in the capacity in WWE. I mean, by the time when Arda came in, he was never on the road with WWE. So I just, I never really saw him. And mm -hmm. then once Moro started, he was doing SmackDown at the time. So I would see him, but that was just such, um, I think just a weird fit of everything that was going yes. on. And I know he was in his own world of trying to, trying to navigate that world and trying to figure out what was going on. So, I mean, I, I love being able to see him again, but I also know that he was just so laser focused on what he was doing. Mm -hmm. And at that time, I like the idea of doing commentary was just not nothing that I had thought about. I know that he had mentioned it a few times before that he was like, man, imagine if me and you got to do that together. Um, just cause we already have that rapport and that chemistry we've been able to work together. Um, cause yeah, even like when Beth, Phoenix was working with him on NXT. I was like, shit, I wish I was doing that. Like that <laughs> would have been fun. Right. I've always wanted to work with him in that capacity. Um, so yeah, it always kind of bummed me out that we never got to do that. Um, but you know, even just talking about Moro, I will always remember. So when I first started at the score, my boss again, Greg Sansoni, he was like, well, you gotta, you gotta work in the low district uh, or low rent district out here. I was in like, the ghetto of the score. <laughs> no offense to any of the other people that were down there. Guys, we were in it to win it together. <laughs> um, but it would be like, I would be at my desk. Um, I would have Steve Coolius across from me who covered all of our hockey, who's just this like tanned little like firecracker of a man. Then I'd have like Moro on the other side of him who's like 
dealing with whatever chaos is going on with his like MMA podcast at the time. Right. Uh, like just if you catch Morrow in a bad mood, look the fuck out. <laughs> like avoid, just stay in your own lane. Do not get in his way. Um, he, he also was, seems like he moves a, a million miles. Oh a my God. You've like never just, seen someone he, work like, like that. It's head crazy. down, just like yep. walking right through a hallway or something. But it's like not that, even, right? it is, it's like head down, walking through the hallway, but also you can see him rattling off numbers mm -hmm. to himself and facts and going over, you know, it, whether it's for an interview he's doing or whatever. Like I always, I would always say to him, like, dude, you're like Wikipedia of wrestling. Like when we were, <laughs> when we were doing, um, when we were doing aftermath together, he would so easily be like this date stampede wrestling, this happened and this happened and this happened. Like the way that his brain retained that information always like blew me away. Um, but just the talent of him, he's incredible. Oh, yeah. um, and to see, you know, even just watching like the, the Tyson Jones fight the other night, I was like, hell yeah, of course Moro's on the call for that. Yeah. I thought it was, I thought it was so cool. He's calling boxing the sport he loves. <laughs> Him, he gets the call of Mike Right. He gets the, he gets a call of Mike Tyson fight. He gets to make wrestling references yeah. and and rap references and it's Snoop Dogg's there. Wheelhouse. And like, I mean, whatever. He was I like mean. a pig and shit. Like he had to yeah. love that. That had to be like, <laughs> I mean, he's done some crazy stuff, but that had to be like almost a crowning moment of his All career. I'm saying is I hope that he got to hang out in Snoop Dogg's dressing room before that. If you or, know what I'm saying. Or yeah, <laughs> and or after. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Incredible. So, okay. So talking about that WWE career outside and man, you know, my memory is kind of shot <laughs> these days. Mine's but outside, terrible. <laughs> outside of that deal with like the Miz a few years ago, you're one of the rare on-screen folks in WWE who generally stayed away from being involved in storylines or doing anything physical. So considering you have someone in your home who could have obviously trained <laughs> you or given you pointers or whatever the case, was there never a thought or desire from you to kind of do something, not obviously be a wrestler, but get involved in some way? Or were there ever pitches that were given to you from writers or, or whoever that you turned down for su such opportunities. So I was always down to do stuff like anything that, uh, you know, whether it was a storyline, something that involves some physicality. Like I also like was, I played sports. Like I was such a tomboy growing up. Like mm -hmm. I'm not like a fragile little thing. I will get in there and like get dirty and get scraped up. I'm not afraid of that. Um, but I, you know, I think, so the way that, the way that I see it anyways was um, I think just with the success that I was able to have in WWE as just a broadcaster and as a personality, I think that the higher ups in WWE valued what I brought to the table there, that they were afraid of tarnishing that by mm. letting me um, get involved in the storylines and not be taken so seriously or to, you know, be made the butt end of a joke or something. Cause it's not like they were going to use me to like, that I was ever going to be the one to get over, you know? Right, right. That would, that never would have been the plan. Um, so, so I think that that's really where that came from. Like even when we did like the Miz storyline with Miz and Maurice and, uh, and with John, um, mm -hmm. that was just such a short stint, but it was also like, I mean, John was very protective of that whole thing too, just cause he is, he is obviously knows more about that than I do, right. especially at the time. But he was like, I just don't want this to turn into some like gag where we end up looking like idiots or it just was blurring a line of something that we didn't really want to get into. Like I, I'm kind of down for whatever. Cause I think everything's just like a bit of a laugh and it's fine. And when you work in wrestling, you kind of just have to be down for whatever's going to come your way. Um, so I was always, I was always waiting 
for that call to be like, all right, we're going to do something. But yeah, it just, it never really happened. But I, I really think that it kind of comes down to what I just said of the, uh, like the higher ups in WWE not wanting to step on the, the like leaps and bounds that I had already made as a, as a broadcaster with them. Speaking of John, and this is something I meant to ask you earlier when we were not talking about wrestling, but uh, on your social media, you always mention like having to do things that you would not otherwise do, right? Like <laughs> watch him play with a blowgun or watch de- wrestling death matches and stuff. Yeah. All, the- all of these are Samoa Joe's fault, by the way. Oh, I have no doubt about that. Of course. Yeah. What What's the reciprocation for that? Like, do you make him watch certain shows or oh, do certain yeah. activities? Hell what is yeah. It? Like, what does he have to do that, that well, you might find entertaining? It's a good question. Um, Gosh. Well, here's the thing. I mean, as much as he's out there, like, playing with his blow darts and he has a shambok and all these, like, ninja stars and nunchucks and whatever, he'll be out there messing around with those things. But if I'm like, yo, there's a new episode of This Is Us, he's like, cue that shit up. <laughs> like, he's down. He's down to watch all that shit. So I don't really have to twist his arm too much. Um, I guess like the main thing that like that I like that he doesn't like is like certain like kind of like quirky little like indie films. He could give a shit sometimes about some of the movies that I want to watch, but mm-hmm. he's he's pretty patient. And I will say, especially while I'm pregnant, he lets me kind of watch whatever I want. It's awesome. Um, and another thing that he does that's great um, was he's he's always good at being my taste tester with food when I'm in the kitchen. And oh, um, okay. and he's not um, he's not. He's definitely not a foodie. Like he, he just wants steak, granola bars, um, just like protein. He, yeah, he's he doesn't want to like have anything like fan. Like if I put like truffle oil on something, like he's out. <laughs> well, um, they say for better or worse, so maybe that also applies to the kitchen. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Right. So especially when I was doing my cookbook, I'm like, you just please just try this. Tell me if you like it. And then he would like tell me he didn't like it. I'm like, well, you have a bad palate anyways. So whatever. <laughs> I'll kind of dispel him just to prove myself right. But um, yeah, generally, we're kind of on the same page about things. What other kind of like girly things do I ever make him do? I guess if I'm like, maybe like just like a target run that drives him a little crazier. If I need to like mm-hmm. go to the mall and like go like get some stuff like that, that will always drive him crazy. The grocery store, he hates going to the grocery store too. <laughs> hates it. Because so anything, I like anything that's meander. like a part of life. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. Honestly. Right. No, it's true. He's like, just bring home bread and that's it. He's like, fine. Right. Uh, but I like to like, I want to go down all the aisles. I want to, you know, see what kind of new sauces there are. He's like, let's get out of here. Yeah. I'm definitely on the like 15 minutes in and out. Let's just yeah. get what I need. I know I have the list in my head and. <laughs> if I miss something, I'll get it next week. You know, he was a of- pro for that, though. When I was when I was um, when I was doing the photo shoots for my cookbook, which mm-hmm. is uh, uh, so much work, um, I would try to grocery shop as much as I could, but my fridge would be full, and then I would need stuff for the next day. So he'd be like, "Fine, I'll just go do it. Just write it down." I'm like, "I don't know that you're gonna know exactly what these <laughs> things are," but right. lo and behold, every time he came back with exactly what I needed, like he crushed it. The, the like picture in my head of him asking like a grocery store worker, like, where do I find radishes? <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh <laughs> yeah. Know? There were so many things. He's like, what exactly is this? And I would send either like a Google image search or like, so I don't funny. know, we would find a way to communicate. And he always, he always brought home the goods. That's funny. Yeah. No pun intended. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, so back, back to the wrestling stuff. So the decision, you know, to walk away from WWE, we talked about it briefly earlier, but it probably, and I'm assuming, was not necessarily the easiest decision, especially since 
you really did end up working there for the largest portion kind of of your adult life. Yeah. What were the considerations that ultimately led to that decision? Well, really what it boils down to is um, I just, I really wasn't feeling challenged anymore. And I was really feeling like every, I had kind of done everything I could possibly do. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, my stint on commentary, um, I, I obviously I did not enjoy doing that. That was something that, um, I, I mean, I'm, I'm glad that I got to do it 100%. I'm so happy I had that opportunity to like be the first woman to do it. I just wish it went differently or that I handled it differently or whatever. But I think that was definitely something that left a bit of a bad taste in my mouth. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side of that being like, okay, well I did this big accomplishment now what? Now what am I supposed to do? I can't be here and just do backstage interviews. That doesn't make sense anymore. Um, trying to find a role that made the most sense. And, you know, when I was like put on as a, you know, um, uh, a special contributor uh, and no one even knew what that meant at the time. So, you know, right. I, I had made a couple pitches for them to use me the way that UFC uses Megan O'Leary. Um, and it, it, obviously that never ended up happening, but the more we would just like talk about, it, I'm like, you know, what? I just don't think that there's anything here for me anymore. And my gut just kept telling me that it was time to go and just kind of time to get back to like what I really want to do. Like, let's get back to some of the things that I'm more passionate about. And I don't mean that in the sense that I'm not passionate about wrestling. Mm-hmm. I the sense of like passionate about, um, what kind of programs I want to be on. How do I want to use my skill set? Um, within my career from here on out, I've been able to build this amazing platform from my time in WWE. So now what do I turn that into? Do I just stay here in WWE and kind of flounder around and collect a paycheck and be happy with that? Or do I kind of get back to the grind and um, find something a little more fulfilling than that? And I just kept coming back to that. My gut just kept saying like, don't be a little bitch, get out there and let's (laughs) do it. It's so easy to sit around and be like, well, I make good money and I work with all my friends and there's all these perks and benefits to what I do. But when you're not, uh, your soul's not fulfilled with what you're doing, it's time to like, you got to move on. You, you got to get back to betting on yourself again and uh, getting back to, to the talent that I want to be able to, uh, to use for whatever I end up using it for. What would you say went wrong on commentary? Because I'll tell you from a third party perspective, being totally honest, I thought it may have started rough, but as it progressed, as you had more time in the chair working with the guys, it started to really come together, but it never really felt like the trio, and I don't think it's necessarily anyone's fault, it didn't feel like that trio meshed well. Is that what it was, or was it the voices on the headset and not necessarily maybe having the freedom that you did otherwise? I think it was a combination of all of those things. You know, when I when I when the idea first came about that I was like, oh shit, I get to work with Cole and Graves. Like I'm very good friends with both mm-hmm. of those guys. Like, so it's not it's not for a lack of rapport with them, obviously, but I think once we got into that environment, it felt to me very elbows up a little bit of like, got it. Like I had to fight for my time on air there. Mm -hmm. And I think that was a lack of trust from other people, maybe Mm -hmm. Um, lack of trust for me to get in there or people not really knowing what to do with me there either. It's like, Hey, well, we want a woman in this role. We want her to be in there, but we don't really know what, like how or why, Um, you know, she's not been in the ring. So I can't use that from experience. Um, to just come from like a fan's uh, perspective or am I coming from like a journalistic standpoint? There was just so many different 
things that I was being told and trying to like exist within that world. But the other thing that I just felt was really difficult for me was being the third person on a broadcast. I'm used to being the first person on a broadcast. Mm. So, I mean, even to be second is one thing, but once it got to the third and Cole and Graves, they have such, they, they did, they never needed a third person. They are, they just fill that time. They don't need that third person. So when I would jump in there, I'm like, well, fuck, what am I supposed to say now? They've already said all the things. Right. Um, and there were yep. so many times that I honestly really felt that I was like, oh, I am on the right track because the things that I'm huh, going to say just <laughs> got said. So I knew that I was, you know, on the right track with some of that a little bit, but then it would turn out that all the things got said and then I would just end up having to say something fucking meaningless or echo what somebody else had already said. And I think you're, that also yeah. just comes from a lack of experience. Yeah. It's like, you're it's just like the yeah. lack of experience within that role of not really knowing what to do with that with, um, yeah, I can't, I can't go. Oh yeah. I mean that time that I wrestled so-and-so I never had that to like rely on or, or anything. I, there was no like crutches I could really use. So yeah, it was just, it was just weird. I just, and I just, I always, I got really down on myself about it. Um, I don't like not being great at something and sure. not having that. Um, I just honestly never really felt like I had the support that I really wanted uh, with that role. I think that they were like, cool, let's put a chick out there. We want, when Renee right. is the person to do it. But then I just feel like they lost, um, I think they lost confidence in me so quickly. And then that fucked me up. I think also when you filled in, uh, you got really good at reviews for that. Yeah. And and therefore, I think it was like a spark went off. And it's like, you know what? Renee would be pretty damn good in this position. Yeah. But at the same time, we still want her to do it our way. Like, well, exactly. And and you look at that first night that I stepped in there and everyone was like, people were walking out high-fiving and I was getting texts from from a bunch of different people just like so happy with how it went and I could feel that it went really well. And then once it, once it was like, okay, now you are in there all the time that then I was under the yep. microscope. So that night I was not under the microscope and I could just be, and then that changed and that it became really hard to work within those confines. It just uh, seemed to just get tighter and tighter on me. Speaking of things that worked for a long time and then all of a sudden didn't, although maybe this didn't work as well as what I'm about <laughs> to bring up, what really allowed you to take off truly in WWE, and you were already there for you know three or four years, was Talking Smack and Raw Talk, right? Mm -hmm. And as a fan watching it, as you know, being on Twitter and talking to other people, it seemed like everyone involved, the people watching on TV or on the WWE Network, uh, you, Daniel Bryan, all the other superstars, were having pure fun yeah. doing it. And that it was yeah. just entertaining. You were entertaining yourselves as much as you're entertaining us, storylines ended up developing from it. Maybe some of them were purposeful. Maybe some were not. When they decided to stop, and I know you talked about it a little bit on your social media at the time, and you did those like Instagram lives and things like that. But yeah. were you ever given like a solid reason? This is why we're not doing this anymore. No, of course not. <laughs> no, no. Okay. I mean, I literally found out online. I wasn't even told that the show was canceled. It was just gone one day. Um, and that's just sort of how it is. I mean, there's no point. What are you going to do? The show's canceled and right. going and trying to find answers and figure out what happened. Also, I mean, the way things work in WWE is sometimes just they don't like the direction something's going, whether it's a storyline on TV or whatever. And then they just they drop that and move on. And no one really 
asks why it's just like, okay, we're not doing that anymore on to the next. Um, so I think that that's kind of what that was with talking smack was having that show get canceled. And, you know, we were definitely bummed out and we all knew that we were onto something really cool and you could feel that energy of like truly, I, I think that's what people liked is it didn't feel overproduced. You knew that we were just being ourselves and it felt so good to do that. Like that's really when I was like, I'm in my wheelhouse. This is what I like to do. And, and that, you know, that's the difference between popping on to do commentary too, is like that, mm. that freedom is that freedom's just gone. And again, I working in a three man booth is really, really difficult too. Um, were you, were you surprised to see them bring it back? No, I, I knew it was coming back. Okay. Yeah. I, was, I, I, curious. yeah, no, I knew that it was coming back and that was one of those things that I was like, well, I'm not going to stay just to do a show I've already done. Um, and, and got canceled once. Exactly. And right. I've had that, I've had that carrot dangled in front of me before several different times. And I, I couldn't take the bait on that again. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I, it's again, all these things felt like steps backwards. It's like, I don't want to just sit here and do interviews again. And I don't want to just, uh, I don't want to pop on and do talking smack again as much as I love doing that. But I knew without, without Brian being on there doing that and it not being that same, it just wouldn't be the same and it needed something completely different. I think what Kayla has been able to do with it is great. I think she's fantastic. Um, so seeing Kayla step in there and make that her own and for her to now have like an opportunity to grow her own platform, I think is really, really cool. Yeah. They're actually both good. I mean, you know, Charlie on on the raw talk as well, they're both pretty good. Not not that. I mean, I know they're good. I'm saying the shows themselves are actually they're not maybe the same, uh, but, yeah, but they're pretty they have, close. They have their own life to them. Yeah. Like, yeah. and I, I'm not watching them all that often to be completely honest, but sure. just like, you know, some of the clips and stuff that I see here and there, it's like, it, that's what it needed. If I stepped in there to do it again, it, it just would have felt too much. Like we're trying to recreate the same thing. Mm-hmm. And I just, I think that it just wouldn't have been that. So I think it having both shows, having complete new facelifts is what they needed to, to be successful for sure. And I mean, obviously the talent that's in there working on those shows is amazing too. When, when you approach WWE and basically told them, Hey, look, this is what I want to do. I'm ready to leave and so on and so forth. What was their reaction? And did they make significant overtures to keep you or did they kind of get the idea that you weren't going to be changing your mind? No, they, they knew that I wanted to go. Um, I, so I had actually tried to leave WWE maybe three years prior to that. Um, so this wasn't the first time that I had had this conversation and, um, you know, going back to that time I tried to leave before, uh, going back to carrots being dangled was like, no, we want you to stay. We've got these big plans for you. We've got this coming up and this coming up and all these great things. Um, so I was like, well, all right, shit. All right, let's let's do these. <laughs> and then, you know, once it came to this time around, and I think also I'm sure the departure of my husband was something that uh, I don't know if they were ever like waiting for that other shoe to drop. Um, truly for me, um, him leaving was not one – like that was not a factor of me wanting to leave because, mm-hmm. um, you know, whatever. It doesn't really matter. We, it, we're both kind of home a lot right now anyways. So that had nothing to do with it. Um, but yeah, I think just sort of having those conversations with, with Michael Cole and I, you know, I didn't talk to Vince until my last day. Um, those were conversations that we're having, uh, that were being had without me in the room, but, uh, they all knew they, they understood where I was coming from and they get, they get what I want to do. And for me as a, as a host and as a personality within there, there's just nothing really there for me to do that uses my skill set that is going to be satisfying for me. 
Um, and then, you know, having backstage get yanked as well. That was just sort of like it all kind of happened at once. And I was like, okay, the ride has slowed down and now is the time for me to get off. And everybody, everybody understood. And there was no ill will. Um, there was never like, fine, go or like, fuck this, <laughs> I'm out of here. Like it wasn't that it was just like, you know what, I've had a great run here, but it's time to, uh, to duck out and go try on some other hats. What was your relationship? If there was one, uh, like with Vince? Honestly, I would say lack thereof. I really didn't okay. have much of a relationship with Vince. Um, was it, it was more Michael Cole who you worked with? You know, yeah. Primarily? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I worked I worked very closely with Cole in a lot of things. And Michael Cole is just the best dude. Like, I love that guy. He's the best. He's just he's such a great friend. And he's always been such a great mentor to me. And um, he's gone to bat for me a thousand times. Like, I couldn't thank him enough. But also someone that's just so fucking good at what they do and does mm -hmm. not ever get the credit for how good he is because he's, you know, kind of made to seem as like a dork or something. But he's <laughs> he's fantastic. I love Cole. It he's shines great. it shines with him when yeah. opportunities are given to do the shield special or yeah. evolution. Or actually I don't remember if he was on commentary for that. Uh, he was. He was. Okay, yes. yeah, okay. Yep. So it was whenever, me, him and whenever Whenever those opportunities were where maybe the production staff backstage is a little bit different. Yeah. Um, you can always you can see it come through. He starts yep. calling more moves for the matches and yep. the banter is a little bit more authentic, right? And, and that's you know, that's sort of what we all end up with. It's like every right. like everyone that works at WWE is so talented. Like there's so many amazingly talented people there. And you only get to see a fraction of it because we're all kind of falling into the role that we're given. And um, you know kind of sticking within those guidelines. But as soon as there's like a little bit of room to be like, shit, now I can just be myself. <laughs> you know, people take those opportunities and it does remind everyone of like, oh shit, this person is really good. We just don't get to see it all the time. So you mentioned that and something that has kind of been, let's call it a bit of a turnoff uh, for fans is some of that scripting, the scripted nature of promos that the superstars, wrestlers get to cut. In those terms, for you working as a backstage interviewer, were you purely on script? Did it maybe start that way and then you earned more freedom and flexibility? Or are people kind of misunderstanding the process of how all that works? Oh, no. I was on a script that whole time. Always. I was always on a really? script for backstage interviews. Yep. Yeah. There was never a time that... Uh, I can't really think of any times that we would just like wing it. You know what? I guess... Maybe a little bit near the end of me doing some backstage interviews, they were starting to be like, I don't know, uh, you're going to do like a post-match uh, post interview and just ask about something to do with this. So mm -hmm. there would be like a little bit of freedom in there to kind of work. But for the most part, I mean, it is, yeah, it's, it, you're reading a script. Was Which it I, I, I never that, minded that. I honestly what, never minded that. Were you able to contribute to that process though? Or was it just kind of given No. No, it's given really to me. To <laughs> yeah. Now, what you mentioned at the end there, I had started to notice. And, and again, being an outsider, not being there, it's tough to really know. But I kind of noticed as the pandemic rolled on and as kind of everyone was together, I guess, you know, all the time in, in singular locations, it seems, especially now, way more now than even when you left and kind of in uh, March, April, May, it kind of seems like there's more freedom, especially on the SmackDown side where guys and girls are getting to show a little bit more of their personality, a little bit more freedom in the types of things that they say. Is that just purely 
the writing is better. And I know you're not there right now to say so, but, or was there truly an opening up kind of April, May, June, where things did start to progress in a different direction. That yeah, that's really hard for me to talk to because I'm I'm just honestly not sure. I would love to assume that right. it's yeah. uh, that it's the talent getting a little bit of trust to just be themselves. And yeah, I mean, there's so many people that obviously are fighting for that and advocating for that all the time. Um, I, I what I will say that I noticed a lot that was a bit of a change during this whole pandemic thing was. Um, you know, doing the shows from the performance center and from like the Thunderdome and whatnot, uh, the way that some of the promos started to be done differently, you know, you would see edge always just cut them straight to camera. We would mm -hmm. see Seth do it. And they were, uh, Kevin Owens doing it. And these guys that people are like, Oh shit, that was really good. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that was one of those moments that was like, Oh, they're onto something here of like, I mean, obviously somebody like edge is going to go in there and have more creative freedom than maybe some of the other guys do, but, um, letting people just be themselves and create their own characters and create their own dialogue, but having to take away some of these, like what can be like these like bulky, uncomfortable, weird interviews that are like, you, you didn't need that interview. You just mm -hmm. needed the guy to cut his promo right to camera and let us see his eyes. Let us let him look into the camera. That alone was something we had not seen for a really long time. So I think that made um, a big connection. And I don't know if maybe like some of those promos maybe led to some of this freedom or just the way that SmackDown is operating now. I honestly I don't even know who the head writer of SmackDown is. Is it Bruce? Is it yeah, Bruce right yeah. now? Yeah. I yeah, think he's so, had the whole operation, I think, right now. Okay. Yeah. I mean, when I was when I was kind of leaving, it was like Bruce was taking over and Heyman was on his way out. And mm -hmm. I, I was I wasn't a hundred percent sure on what all was going on there. But um yeah, I mean, hey, the more freedom people can get, the better. There's a lot of talented people back there that trust me, they know what the fuck they're doing. Let <laughs> them do it. <laughs> and it also it also kind of like stymies the ability for those unique organic things to happen, like yeah. the Daniel Bryan Miz incident or, yeah. you know, Daniel Bryan well, uh, sweet beats like that. Like these are stupid <laughs> little, these are stupid yeah. little things. Right. But they're also yeah. things that pop the fans and yeah, get them really course. excited and not having the ability to kind of let those things happen organically. I think always kind of, well, yeah, I mean, you let, some, down a you let these guys come on that lo and behold, they have personalities and they have opinions and they Who can knew? be really, they can be really quick on their feet and have some really cool things to say that, um, you know, that comes down to like, Hey, somebody might not be a great actor. and might not be great at, regurg at regurgitating these lines that you've given them. But if there's somebody that just knows how to cut a wrestling promo and understands the psychology of a wrestling promo, uh, some really magical things can happen. And, you know, I always look back, you know, kind of looking at even like what my husband's doing now mm -hmm. from like the promos that he's able to cut, um, in AEW and I guess everybody there without having any writers there, but just seeing that freedom and not even just the end result of it being great, but, um, seeing the satisfaction that they're able to get from doing the thing that they do. They're professional wrestlers. That's part of what they do. Mm -hmm. That's it's true. Simple. Now, not, not to be unfair to others. John is also particularly good in I that know. area. You know? So, so you're really seeing someone who was, and I'm, I hate to use the term. I actually always criticize it when everyone says, oh, they're shackled. And cause it's really not necessarily the most appropriate term, but seeing a guy like him get the opportunity to kind of spread his wings well, the way he's wanted to, you know, it should really just, you know, there should be the options because 
There yes. are some people that that aren't great at promos, but it doesn't mean they're not a great wrestler. So yes, pair them up with a writer, work on these promos with them. But when there's people that don't need that, just let them do their thing. It shouldn't be just one formula, one one size fits all. And give people the opportunity to screw up. Like, yes. hey, go oh cut your God, own promo. Please. Go cut your own promo. Oh, guess what? Was it terrible? Yeah, yeah. you're probably not going to do that again until you kind of brush up and get better. Yeah, and, and that's the thing too. I think it's that fear of mistakes or that knee-jerk reaction that if um, somebody doesn't like something that it's pulled off TV right away. And that right. that having that fear makes people worse at their job, unfortunately. So you kind of led me into my next question here. There's frequently reports out there, and we're getting a little inside baseball on this, but <laughs> that WWE TV gets rewritten and totally changed all up right until it goes live. Maybe not every week, but some weeks. But I always feel like when those reports are out there and it's other people, you know, I'm not talking about anyone, but I always feel it lacks context. So being someone who is involved in the backstage and and knowing what's happening, having to be prepared yourself for certain segments that you may or may not have to do, when that type of stuff happens from your perspective or happened from your perspective, was it wholesale huge changes, shows getting torn up or things getting reordered and just tweaked? And how difficult was that, if that is exactly what happened, how difficult was that for you to be in your role on screen and maybe have to make a change on a very short notice? I mean, I love that shit. I think it's hilarious. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, it, it makes you like, it gets you on your toes again. You're like, oh shit, what am I doing? What segment am I in? What, what do I need to, to have that panic for a second can be kind of fun. I, I always mm -hmm. enjoyed that. And, um, you know, I always, I, I think that I think there's actually something to be said for the fact that the shows can be rewritten at the, I wouldn't say like, I mean, yes, sometimes at the drop of a hat, you, you can go out and start doing a show and segments are still being written or things are changing. But, mm. um, you know, when, when Vince wants something to be his way, uh, come hell or high water, he's going to make sure that that happens. And I think that's just a testament to that entire production and that belly of the beast of WWE. I mean, whether you're a writer, a producer, you're an on-screen talent, you're wrestling, whatever, that um, for people to just be like, you know, put together a match in, in at like a moment's notice, um, so long as you're warmed up and good to go and just being at go, going, going, going out there and getting to do the thing that you're good at, I think that people can really thrive in those positions. I mean, yes, it can be very scary sometimes, for people that maybe aren't apt to being in those spots, but that's mm -hmm. how you learn and that's how you grow. Um, but yeah, I mean, there would definitely be times yeah, waiting, waiting to get scripts or waiting to see like if a script would be approved and we're like, well, we're up in the next segment. So is this happening <laughs> or not happening? And wait, what, what are like, I have like this like giant intro that I need to memorize. Like, can we please get this approved? Um, <laughs> so having that like stress walking out, especially if I had to enter from the ring, cause I'd have to be down there even earlier. Right. Uh, and then, and then also being like, are me and the, the person I'm interviewing even on the same page? Do they know what we're doing? <laughs> so yeah, it, it can definitely be a little bit jarring, but um, I think that's what makes it it makes there's something really like fun about that. I've always enjoyed that. <laughs> what would you say maybe is the biggest misconception about working in WWE? Um, gosh. Um, like from from a fan perspective, like fans yeah. think fans think this always happens or it's like this, but it really isn't. Or I mean, wrestling is the thing with wrestling. I'll give you time to think is. 
it's the rare industry where, look, yes, in Hollywood, people kind of know sometimes what happens behind the scenes and contracts and, and who's directing a movie. But in wrestling, the behind the scenes stuff is almost, if not as entertaining, if not more entertaining than what's actually happening on the screen. So the fans feel like they know everything because certain people report on certain things. So because of that, look, it may be just maybe there aren't any secrets or maybe things are exactly what they seem in each individual organization. But being in WWE for eight years, I thought there might be something that people say all the time that you just know isn't true and it frustrates you or I don't know. I just kind of figured I'd ponder that. Too. Um, yeah, I mean, that is a good question. I mean, there's so many my brain's kind of like racking over all these different like what could be potential answers. But I think like my biggest takeaway from all of it is um, I'm always just so fascinated with the fact, you know, say say there is a moment in a show where a segment's been rewritten or we're not really sure what's going on. And um I'll just use an example. Say it's like AJ Styles and Daniel Bryan, and they're um, they're doing a three segment match. And mm-hmm. I know I've got to step in there to do an interview with them after. But um, we like whether a script was written for that promo or not for them to like put together a match and beat the holy hell out of each other. And then I pop in there, and then they're able to cut like a very passionate promo to help lead that storyline along and the psychology that goes along with it. I think just like that stuff always fascinates me. Like if people ever think like, oh, WWE, like they're bad actors or it's this or whatever. It's like, no, it's like it's fucking fascinating the way that they're right. able to like kind of do all of these different things. And j- the show goes on. I mean, there's, you know, it, it just it happens. They figure it out. And I've I've always just always kind of been in awe of how people are able to pull all those things off and just do it so seamlessly. It, it do you feel like it, my mind. Do you feel like it should maybe be judged not whether it's scripted or unscripted, but whether it's good? And if it's good, then it doesn't necessarily matter. Yeah, of course. Right. Of course. If it's good, it's good. If it's good, I mean, if you want to, if you want to start, you know, being minuscule about like different variations of how good, fine. If you've got time to kill like that, but like, <laughs> if it's good, it's good. Because right. sometimes, because sometimes. A written script is fucking great. Sometimes something that's not written is fucking great. So sometimes you have people saying suffer and succotash on television. (laughs) Hey, (laughs) sometimes these things happen, but you got to try it out, right? Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Very few in WWE, and we'll we'll get you out of here shortly, but very few in WWE held the position and stature that you did for that long of a period of time. You wrapped up their really second to Mean Gene Okerlund in terms of notability, success, and popularity as an interviewer. Do you, now that you're removed from WWE, is that something you recognize? Yeah. And you know what? I I recognized it at the time. I mean, I think I could feel it in the sense of, um, you know, just going into that role and starting with WWE again. I mean, I just, I had no idea what I was going to be doing. I didn't know what my role was going to be within WWE. Um, and I, I didn't know I, I, before I even started there. I mean, it's the fact that I was even doing a wrestling show prior to that, but I didn't fully understand. I don't think the, the passion of the wrestling fans and the fact that they were always so cool to me and always like kind of gravitated towards me in a certain degree. And like they helped put me in that position because a lot of times, um, 
you know, the, the interviewer is not meant to get over in any capacity. Mm -hmm. Um, so the fact that I was able to do like the fact that I have like action figures and uh, like, you know, trading (laughs) cards, all these things that like a lot of interviewers don't get those things. And, um, yeah, I, 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 think that that whole thing is so cool especially for me like being able to work so closely with gene before he passed um for me to be able to spend time with him the very first show i actually did with wwe was with gene so i always loved my time that i spent with him he is just the he is the best he is exactly what you would think that he is i mean on camera off camera he is just he is just the absolute best just like the the bullshit jokes that he would throw out and like the crass things he would say. His outtakes online are like the greatest. Oh my God. They like, I would be in tears because we (laughs) would be rolling. So we would do the show vintage that aired internationally and we would just cover like old matches and uh, Mm -hmm. old, old angles and whatever. And, uh, we would film like sometimes five, six episodes back to back. So by the end of it, we're just exhausted and we're reading off of a teleprompter. We're like in a green screen room, but like anytime we have like a long on camera reading, and like by the time you're close to the end, you're like, don't fuck up, don't fuck up, don't fuck up. <laughs> and then one of us would fuck up and like just like the shit that would come flying out of his mouth, I would literally be in tears. <laughs> like he makes me laugh so much. Yeah, awesome. he's the best. Now, obviously, there's more other things taking precedence in your life right now. But do you think you will be involved with wrestling again sooner or later? Or is this a separation from the sports, sports entertainment that you expect to last at least for a significant period of time. Um, I, you know, I haven't, I haven't put any thought into the sense of like, I need to separate myself and I need to go do my own thing, you know, to like to rebrand or whatever. I've, I've <laughs> really not thought about it in that sense. Um, I always think that I'll have some sort of a tie to wrestling and it's not something that I'm looking to shy away from, you know, um, that's not something that I'm looking to have a separation from. It's just figuring out like, okay, well, if I'm not in WWE, I'm not doing something, um, what am I going to be doing? I mean, obviously everyone's like, AEW, go do there right. and do something. And like, I'm not, I'm not opposed to doing something there, like by any means. Um, but it's just figuring out like, like what that would be or what that would look like. And why are we doing it? What are we doing? Like, yeah, I, I'm definitely not opposed to something like that, but when that would happen, how that would happen, those are things I've not had any conversations about anything like that with anybody. Um, so right now I'm just, I'm living in podcast world. I'm living in making a baby world and <laughs> shilling a cookbook. So just having all of those things kind of on the, on the burner right now, but you know, even the other night I like Twitch, I did like a Twitch stream where I was watching AEW and people like, you know, people tuned in, they loved it and mm-hmm. people like getting to hang out in that world. So, I mean, is that for me to be like, oh, I don't, have anything to do with wrestling anymore is like that. I, that's just, that's not what I'm trying to do at all. No, no, of course. The, would it have to be something like you were saying, you had basically accomplished and done everything that you thought you could do in WWE. Would it have to be something that was different that gave you an yeah. opportunity that you haven't had before? For sure. Yeah. It would have to be something different. It would have to be something that felt like substantial and important or just like fun, even something that just seemed like it was fun. I mean, whether it was having some kind of an angle in some way or, um, you know, hosting something in a different capacity or doing something on like a pay-per-view or whatever. I mean, I'm sure there's a plethora of different ways to, to come up with some creative ways to use me for something, but, um, yeah, it would, it would have to be something that felt different and new and exciting. For sure. Now, I'll get you out of here on this. Eight-year WWE career. 
been to New Japan to watch, John. Obviously, you're watching AEW now. For you, though, primarily in your career, do you have that singular moment that you look back on? It could have been something right from the beginning that, oh my God, I can't believe I'm in this spot with The Rock or, you know, whatever the case, or something that you personally were involved in. When you are going to think back on that WWE career, what is the thing that stands out to you? Um, I've got a few, you know, I would say from very early on, um, sitting in production meetings at NXT and I remember sitting in there, sitting in the production meeting room and it's Dusty Rhodes Mm -hmm. and Triple H and Michael Hayes and Shawn Michaels was there at the time. Um, you know, all of these legends, Ricky Steamboat was in there, um, to see all these guys and for like little old me to be like, um, what's going on in the show to like, just be like hanging (laughs) out with these legends and like hearing them like pontificate over how a show should be going down or how, uh, you know, how a character's developing, especially within those NXT combines and whatnot. It was, like, I always thought that was really, really cool. I love that. Um, That's one I'll always remember. I will also for sure always remember being able to call, um, call an Undertaker match. Like, that's Mm -hmm. crazy to me. I remember um, calling Taker match. I think we were either, I think it's when we were in Australia. Either Australia or maybe it was Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. It was one of them, and uh, there was going to be a table spot. And Taker like signaled to me that they were coming through the table, and I didn't know. And I was like, "Oh my god, the Undertaker <laughs> just signaled to me that something's about to happen. You better <laughs> fucking move, bitch." <laughs> I am on the inside. It may have taken me however long. Did but we I'm here. just have a moment? Did we just become <laughs> best friends? Yeah, I was like, so like, holy shit. Yeah, I was uh, like, that's one that I'll definitely always remember. Um, yeah, I mean it's hard. There's so many moments. I mean, every year there's different things that you could look at as being like, oh shit, that was like a cool moment. Or like mm-hmm. anytime you get to like talk to talk to Stone Cold or like, you know, being like tight with Booker T. Like there's just there's so many cool things that you're like, oh, interesting. For yeah. Sure. A lot of things to reflect on. Absolutely. Well, we reflected on a lot today, and I appreciate you taking the time to be here. Her name is Renee Paquette. You can follow her on Twitter at Renee Paquette. You can get her new book very soon, Messy in the Kitchen, My Guide to Eating Deliciously, Hosting Fabulously, and Drinking Copiously. It's out May 18th, but you can pre-order it now on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble. And you can also listen to her brand new podcast, Oral Sessions. Every single place that you listen to this show, you can find that podcast as well. I mean, isn't that kind of enough on your plate right now? Yeah, I think it's not bad for now, but... I'm still looking for more. So let's add like six more things before next time we talk. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Keep it coming. Renee, thank you so much for taking the time. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me on. Thanks once again to Renee for joining me on the show. That was truly a lot of fun. I found our conversation to be insightful, informative, entertaining. And as someone who has watched her grow as a broadcaster and talent, Over the better part of the last decade, I'm truly excited about what's next for her and her family. I also want to thank all of you for listening to our conversation. And for those of you hearing this show for the very first time, I do hope you subscribe to the Getting Over Wrestling podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We're available on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, Google, whatever you use to listen to pods, you can find the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. Just look for the Black and yellow logo. As I mentioned in the opening, we do two separate weekly shows, one for WWE on Tuesdays 
and one for NXT and AEW on Thursdays. We also tape ultimate previews for major pay-per-views, and we do instant analysis episodes that are published within minutes of those major shows going off the air on Saturdays and Sundays. We do interview active wrestlers as well, and we'll sometimes create some other special episodes, but we do generally try to keep it to two or three shows per week. So again, please give us a shot. Hit that subscribe button. Also, follow us on Twitter at GettingOverCast and drop a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, please. Every single time anyone does that, it helps us grow, helps us gain prominence as well. And if you want, you can also follow me on Twitter at Silgerstein Adam. So with that, I will say goodbye for today. We'll be back on Thursday with a loaded NXT and AEW episode, and I'll leave you with just three words. Bye for now. Thank you.